You are listening to the Sermons Podcast from the North Church in Moundsview, Minnesota. For more gospel-focused resources or information about our church, please visit us at thenorthchurch.com. The sermon text this morning is from Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. If you need a Bible, you will find one under the seat in front of you. Please feel free to use it. The text is on page 985. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Four years ago, Kathy and I invited our moms to join us for a six-week Bible study and lunch. And they accepted. And the study we chose was called Christianity Explained. We'd meet for lunch. I would share about 10 to 15 minutes through the Bible lesson for that day from the book of Mark. And we would have some discussion. Now, lesson four was very important. It talked about grace, versus works. And I was reading this rhetorical question in the notebook. Why can't good works get you to heaven? When Kathy's mom perked up, looked me in the eyes and said, I'd like to know the answer to that question. Well, I wasn't expecting a response to a rhetorical question. And we had just covered uh, the bulk of that lesson but I was glad she said something, and you can bet we circled back to the previous teaching about how our faith needs to be in the work of Jesus on the cross for forgiveness and for relationship with God. We wanted the gospel to be crystal clear. Well, in the middle of our passage today, Paul asked the Colossians to pray for just that same thing, that God would help him make it clear when he declares the mystery of Christ. Also in our passage today, Paul's gonna take us in a very different direction to those outside the church with this message of the mystery of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we do recognize that we need you every hour, every moment. You made us. You know us perfectly. You know every danger. You have a secure plan and purpose that you will bring about. So Lord, we pray that you would help us this morning as we look at your written word one more time. Would you open our hearts and our minds and cause it to land on us in ways that will be good for us and will end up glorifying you. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Well, we've come to the last five verses in the body of Paul's letter to the Colossians. Only one more week after this. Think about how Paul has loved this congregation so well. Even though he hasn't met them, he's worked hard at writing this letter for them. He's prayed for them a lot. He's thanked God and affirmed them for their faith. He's lifted to their, their eyes to the glorious truths about the person of Christ. He's answered their need to be rightly oriented and encouraged in light of false teaching. He addresses their sanctification to put off and to put on. And then last week, he loves them with specific teaching about godly relationships within the family and the household. Then after these five verses, he's going to finish with some final greetings. This passage can be organized in more than one way. One way is by the main two exhortations, to pray and then to go and evangelize. I'm tweaking that to make sure we catch the importance of these three exhortations in the text. To prioritize our individual relationship with God, to partner in the church for prayer, and then to wisely proclaim the clear gospel. We sometimes talk at the North Church about upreach, inreach, and outreach. How everything we do fits into those three very important categories. Well, Paul is striking a very good balance when it comes to these three categories. First of all, the priority of personally going up to God in faith through prayer, then focusing in the church for fruitful partnership for the gospel, and then going out to our neighbors in gospel befriending. What really sticks out to me is this unifying theme that there is a clear gospel truth and message. So look for that in our passage today and consider how these exhortations might apply to us here at the North Church. So here's what I believe is the main point of the passage for us. First, we must personally cling to. Second, prayerfully support. And third, proclaim to the lost the clear message of salvation in Christ alone. So let's walk through the passage. The first exhortation is in verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Paul is finishing the body to this letter in these final sentences. The last things communicated by a person in a letter or a speech are often summary and often priority for that person, the most important. So being connected to God and in a right connection with him, a right relationship with him is priority number one for him. Prayer is something Paul talks a lot about in his letters. He's always talking about his own prayers for the churches like he did in our chapter one. So kids, I'm glad you're here. Hope you're listening and you have that picture on the back of your sheet. And so I want you to start with one of those ropes God is always listening. He's on the other end of the rope. And draw yourself, a picture of yourself, holding on to that other end of the rope to signify that God is always listening and we can always talk with him in prayer. Paul writes, continue steadfastly in prayer. The one Greek word translated continue steadfastly means to be earnest towards, 
to persevere, to be constantly diligent. Why does Paul tell the Colossians to pray in this continuous way? In chapter 3, we learn that Christ is our life. That understanding is the fuel for this exhortation. Paul now says to never stop praying because prayer is how we relate to the most important person in our lives, the one who's our everything. In Psalm 16, 8, the psalmist writes, I have set the Lord continually before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Prayer is how we can continuously express our love, our faith, our praise to our most treasured friend. How would you say this is going for you? Are you able to talk with God continually because you love him and you sense his need for him every hour in everything? David says in Psalm 116.1, I love the Lord because he hears my voice and my supplications. Because he has inclined his ear to me, therefore I shall call upon him as long as I live. God is a person leaning in to the hearts of his beloved children. When we truly believe this, we will continue talking to him. Being watchful in it. The Greek word translated watchful also means awake or vigilant. Those are two other ways that it's translated. Why does Paul Paul say to pray like this? Watchful or vigilant for what? Waiting for whom? In the Colossians context, I think this is related to at least two things. The dangers of false teaching and the temptation to sin. In Matthew 26, 41, Jesus uses the same word when he says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. But the context of Colossians also leads us to be vigilant to seek the things that are above, right? Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Praying to God keeps us awake to the dangers of false doctrine, the temptations to sin, and the glory of the person of God. In this way, our praying can be like focusing intently on something for a special reason. Sometimes we're determined to not take our eyes off of something because we want to catch the full wonder of it. It's like watching the sun when it's sinking down into the horizon across the ocean or across a lake and you keep watching it as it sinks down into that horizon because you want to catch the very last moment until the sun is gone. Well, being watchful in prayer is waiting expectantly with faith in God's grace. Grace to help not fall into temptation or believe in a false doctrine of some kind or waiting to rejoice in who God is. Isaiah says this to God in chapter 64, 4 of Isaiah. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear No one has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait or watch for him. Amen? 
with thanksgiving. Pastor John explained how Paul surprises us with his thankfulness to God for the Colossians in chapter 1. Do you remember that? He said expressing thankfulness to God reminds us of his blessing and his greatness and so it in turn encourages and strengthens our faith. Well, this was very important to the Colossians in their context related to the danger from false teaching and the temptation to sin. Earnest, watchful, and thankful prayer to their loving father and friend was priority number one for the Colossians. So we're a church that's been given much by our loving God and like we've heard in other sermons leading up to this one, today we are also tempted to trust in other gods, in other gospels. We're tempted to sin. Prayer is one way to treasure Christ in all of life. So let's prioritize talking to God, being steadfast, watchful, and thankful in prayer that is like clinging to an unbreakable rope but he is actually holding on to us. David writes in Psalm 73, Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. I'll be honest with you all. I forget about God often. I'll go through a day until God arrests my attention and brings me back to him. And I remember him, and he helps me to talk to him. Let's make a holy habit of never stopping our communion with God. Brother Lawrence lived in the 1600s in France, and he humbly served as a lay brother in the kitchen of a monastery and then as the doorkeeper. In the book, The Practice of the Presence of God, in a letter he wrote to a friend, he, he writes, He is always near you and with you. Leave him not alone. You would think it rude to leave a friend alone who came to visit you. Why then must God be neglected? Do not then forget him, but think on him often. Adore him continually. Live and die with him. This is the glorious employment of a Christian. In a word, this is our profession. If we do not know it, we must learn it. So we've tried to connect what Paul has written in the letter up to this point with prayer that is steadfast, watchful, and thankful. But next, he takes us in this very different direction. Look at our second exhortation in verses three to four. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. So Paul is continuing with the prayer theme. But this exhortation here is that they would partner as a church and as a body and that the object of their praying would be related to Paul's ministry of declaring the mystery of Christ for those outside the church. Okay, children, pick one of those, those two remaining ropes and what I want you to do is remember God is listening and draw yourself at the end of one of those ropes with some Christian friends, maybe linking arms or holding hands. And 
and then draw the planet Earth right next to you to signify that you can pray. We should pray with other Christians to God for those who don't know Jesus in the world. Paul says, at the same time, pray also for us. The watchful and thankful prayer of the Colossians are to include Paul's ministry. He says also for us, probably meaning Timothy and ones mentioned next at the end of the the book of Colossians. So this hits on the theme in the Bible of partnering with other Christians through prayer. I'll be honest again, when I think about my other pastors and their ministries, I'm tempted to be jealous of success that they might be having. I can tend to compare myself to them. Well, I, I want to turn from that. I need to turn away from that, to repent and to pray for their success because it's God's success that we want. Let's do that. Prayer is one way. Then he writes, that God would open to us a door for the word. I believe there's at least two integrated things in this prayer request, the door and the word. A door meaning opportunity of doing something. But this door opening or opportunity is for the word. And it's the word that, that in Romans 1.16 it says the gospel word, the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. In requesting this prayer for an open door for the word, Paul implies that it is God who prepares the way for the gospel, provides the opportunities, softens the hearts, brings a person to himself. It's all grace. Paul is saying, in your praying for our evangelism success, trust God, not me, not my evangelistic brilliance, Paul's request for prayer in 2 Thessalonians 3 communicates this well. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored. Do you see the clear focus there on God's sovereign grace and causing his will to happen in evangelism? And then that we may declare the mystery of Christ. This speaks to the content of what Paul proclaims. In Nick's sermon earlier in chapter one, the text included this, the mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints. Because earlier the mystery is referring to Christ himself, we can understand Paul to be asking for God to open a door for the mystery of Christ, which is the person of Christ, to be proclaimed. Don't you want Jesus to be explained and understood by your family and your friends and your neighbors? I believe we all do. He adds, on account of which I am in prison. Why mention his imprisonment here? Probably to illustrate the power of God in opening doors for the gospel even when humans try to close them. In 2 Timothy 2.9, God's word is not chained. Paul ends this exhortation with the purpose for their partnering prayer, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Does this seem like a strange prayer request? Paul uses the verb translated in the ESV as clear 
meaning to render apparent, to manifestly declare, to make manifest. In chapter 126, Paul wrote, the mystery which has been kept hidden. He is noting how his preaching is in line with God's own revelation. God reveals himself, reveals Christ in history using Paul and the declaration of his preaching. This is Paul's passion, to have people understand and be blessed as Christ is no longer a mystery. I was a 19-year-old sophomore up at St. Cloud State University when I had someone clearly explain the story of sending Jesus, God's story of sending Jesus to be the sacrifice and pay the penalty for my sin. The mystery of Christ was revealed in that moment. It seemed like the first time I was truly understanding why Jesus died. Verses like Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, but the wages of sin is death. And Ephesians 2.8.9, for by grace you have been saved through faith made sense. Grace for clear understanding. It's interesting, when I think back, there were two people that came to meet with me and were sitting there. Only one was talking. And I now know that the other person was praying, praying that the message would be clearly presented and praying for my heart to receive that word. God uses the declaration of the clear message of Christ crucified. Clarity matters in light of the contrary messages out there. So why does he say then, which is how I ought to speak? This reminds us of Paul's calling. 1 Corinthians 9, 16, Paul says, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Romans 1.14, I am under obligation to preach the gospel. There's a divine calling on Paul's life. Paul asked the Colossians to pray that God would pour out his grace so that the true message about Jesus coming as Savior from sin and death would be clearly shown through his preaching. Let me ask you, is Christ and his death on the cross a mystery to you? In Romans 6.23, Paul explains, for the wages of sin is death, eternal separation from God. But the free gift of God is eternal life, eternal connection, relationship with God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Like I said earlier, Jesus dying in my place because my sin demanded the death penalty was a mystery to me. Once I understood that there was salvation to everyone who believes, I was overjoyed and I received it and believed. Will you believe that Jesus died to pay the penalty for sin 
so that you will finally be forgiven once and for all and come into a joy-filled relationship with God forever. So North Church, how can we apply this second exhortation? We can come back here tonight and partner in prayer together. We can, we can pray in the prayer room at 8.15 on Sunday mornings where we partner in prayer for those that are proclaiming the gospel. We've been blessed to have campus outreach, our college-age ministry, that they go out to the campuses and they initiate conversations about Jesus. Let's pray for campus outreach. Pray for anyone declaring Christ to do it with clarity for our global partners using our new prayer calendar. Let's pray for our ESL ministry that meets with internationals and, and shares Jesus with them. The North Church evangelistic efforts like Tuesday Evangelism, Tuesday Night, our SHIELD 616 support of Moundsview police officers, the youth with their risen outreach, our children's ministry week after week proclaiming Christ. Small groups are a great way to partner with each other in prayer. Share the stories of your normal, daily, gospel-befriending relationships and then pray together. And then our final exhortation area is in verses five and six. Look there with me. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Paul has told them to personally cling to God in prayer and then to partner in prayer for gospel advance. And now Paul is finally exhorting them to lovingly relate the clear gospel to unbelievers in their lives. Okay, kids, your, your chance to draw your last picture, that last rope, God is listening Draw yourself at the end of that rope, spending time with maybe some people in your family or friends that don't know Jesus to show and signify how you can keep talking to God who's always listening to help you talk to your friends and family about Jesus. Paul writes, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. The Pew Bible, the Blue Bible's rendering is conduct yourselves wisely toward outsiders. Paul is speaking now to the Colossians' own involvement in the mission. To walk or conduct yourselves refers to living out, proceeding through life day by day. Outsiders are those outside the Christian faith and community. The New Living Translation says those who are not believers. So in this letter, Paul has already helped the Colossians to avoid the bad influences of false teachers inside and outside the church. But now he's exhorting them to not neglect engaging with those outside the church. In this letter, he says, walk in wisdom. Well, what does that mean? The rest of our passage answers this. Making the best use of the time. The Greek probably means something like buy up an opportunity. Paul is exhorting the Colossians to walk in godly wisdom and do it so as to use their current opportunities with outsiders for gospel purposes. I believe this is speaking to a godly sense 
of stewardship, good stewardship for evangelistic purpose with an element even of urgency. Paul was modeling just that. He was buying up or being a good steward of his time in prison. He's writing letters to churches. He's praying a ton and apparently declaring Christ to whomever he can. He writes to the Philippians, it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Paul is not waiting until he's released and he keeps talking about Christ, period. There are so many times that I think about saying something to an unbeliever only to take a pass because I'm tired or I fear rejection or I fear failure. Oh God, give us the grace of your love that we would not take a pass that would motivate us to be a witness for Christ. Our ESL ministry, English as a Second Language ministry, has been an example of this good stewardship of opportunity. For many years, the Lord would bring Chinese scholars that would come on a very limited time visa and do research at the University of Minnesota. And our loving tutors at the North Church would spend time teaching them English and explaining the love of God to them, trying to clearly discuss who Christ is. Amen. Looking back, I believe that God graciously prompted Kathy and me to not wait to do that, that Bible study with our moms. It was soon after that that Kathy's mom passed away. So how do we walk in wisdom making the best use of the time? Paul writes, let your speech always be gracious. This can be taken to mean that your gospel words have God's grace with them for good outcome because of God's supernatural working. We talked about that. Others feel like it means more that the manner of your words with outsiders would be gracious or have an attractive tone. Bible commentator Douglas Moo says this, Christians should speak with their unbelieving neighbors and friends with gracious, warm, and winsome words with the purpose of being able to answer unbelievers. Well, how do we live this out? Well, two weeks ago, from chapter three, we learned how the church is supposed to relate with each other inside the church. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, and love, to mention a few. What a wise way to walk with other believers and no less with unbelievers. Paul adds, seasoned with salt. Most commentators understand that this amplifies the gracious speech, that it should definitely have an attractive and pleasing nature and also be compelling and persuasive. And this leads us to the final purpose statement, our walking toward and with unbelievers, our gracious and salty speech are for this, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. I believe Paul is saying, Colossians, love and be concerned about those outside the church. Care about their understanding of the clear message of Christ. 
Orient your heart and your mind and your words so that you share the message of Christ with outsiders in an effective way. And so God willing, they would come to love Christ. Listen to Paul's heart that motivates his witness. Romans 9.1, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish, referring to his Jewish kinsmen. And in Romans 10.1, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Let's ask God to give us a love for the lost like that. And then have that love motivate walking in wisdom, gracious and salty speech. In Acts 17, 22 to 31, Paul walks in heartfelt wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time, employing a variety of in his speech and focusing on Christ's death and the resurrection. So Paul was waiting in Athens for Silas and Timothy to show up. And it says, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. Well, what did he do? Did he just keep waiting for Timothy and Silas? No. Here's a part of what it says he did. He saw that the city was full of idols, so he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him and some said, what does this, I, this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities. Because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection, they brought him to the Areopagus, saying, may we now know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Paul's love and calling from God led him to not just wait around. He also varied his speech for specific audiences, reasoned, conversed, preached. He was even compelling. He said, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. And he spoke clearly about the revealed mystery, Christ. How can we do this in our context? Let's pray for a heart that breaks for the lost like Paul did. And then in our normal gospel befriending relationships with people in our lives, invite unbelievers in your lives to the gospel by mentioning something about Christ, maybe something about your faith and watching carefully their response. That'll help us in taking the next step. Ask questions to learn what they might not be understanding about Christ, about Christianity. I remember being asked these questions as the gospel was shared with me. When, when, they, when we read Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, they asked me, do you believe that you are a sinner falling short of the glory of God? When we read Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, they asked me, why did Jesus have to die? And then after Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith. 
they ask, if God asked you why he should let you into heaven, what would you say? Both Stephen and I have been helped by the book Get Real by John Leonard. He explains biblical principles and gives many helpful examples that are loving and intentional and compelling and persuasive. It's in the bookstore. Be Christ-centric in your whole life. Live and, and speak in a way that begs the question, will you give me a reason for the hope in Christ that you have? Kathy and I love you. That's why we're excited to stay here at the North Church and be fellow worshipers, fellow learners, fellow sufferers, fellow laborers. Here's my charge. God is a person. He is personal. Don't stop talking to God so that your faith remains pure and strong. God is the only Savior. Don't neglect to partner with others in prayer for the mission of evangelism. Those outside the church don't understand the truth about the mystery of Christ revealed. And so fervently and winsomely engage unbelievers in your lives with Christ. Please pray with me. Father of Jesus, Thank you for this word. Would you help us to think about it and to heed it and to apply it? Lord, thank you for inclining your ear to us. Help us to never stop praying to you. Thank you for raising up so many labors in the heart for preaching in the harvest. Help us to pray for the clear message to go out through them. And Lord, thank you for making us ambassadors for Christ. Would you empower us by your spirit with wisdom and strength to engage our friends and neighbors with the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Sermons Podcast from the North Church. For more information about our church or resources to help you deepen your walk with Christ, please visit us at thenorthchurch.com.